What's up? It's Delaney, and I'd love to invite you to become an honorary co-host of the Self-Helpless Podcast. Do you want to pick episode topics and guests? Done. Want to surprise your loved ones with shout-outs on the show for a birthday, project launch, a much-needed divorce? Whatever you're up to, would love to be a part of the celebration. Get your favorite and least favorite quotes featured on the podcast, submit questions for our special guests, and find lots more new features and surprises at patreon.com slash selfhelpless. You'll also get added to our patron insider email list to easily redeem rewards via a quick email reply because we know hanging out on Patreon isn't everyone's thing. You can also opt out of emails if you prefer to be a silent supporter of the show. And don't worry, we do not Scrooge McDuck these contributions. 100% of proceeds go directly to operating expenses that make this weekly podcast possible and available to all. Learn more at patreon.com selfhelpless or simply click the link in this episode's description. Thank you for helping me fill the void of being the last standing host of the Self Helpless Podcast. Thank you so much. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm no good at taking good advice And I'm self-careless, so don't tell me twice That lately I've been so stuck in my head That I forget just about everything my therapist said Maybe I'm self-helpless Maybe I'm self-helpless Maybe I'm self-helpless Maybe we are all self-helpless Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Self-Helpless Podcast. I'm Delaney Fisher and I'm currently recording this during the holiday season where most of us are taking breaks to spend time with family or just relaxing, including our team over at Self-Helpless and the wonderful guests who appear on the show as well. So we wanted to share this compilation episode with you of all kinds of juicy nuggets from some past guests, their favorite quotes, life-changing pivotal moments they talk about, the words of wisdom they live by, self-care practices. Uh, This episode is stacked with a variety of perspectives and personal and professional experiences, which I love. I just love the variety so much. So here are the people who you will be hearing from in this episode in order that you'll be hearing from them. Um, We have Tan France sharing about clothing as a freedom of expression and how he didn't even want to be on TV. Like he didn't want to be famous. This was so surprising. Um, Brian Regan on his experience with OCD and overcoming fear and procrastination. And you will never look at paper clips the same way again when hearing this one. I promise you. Whitney Cummings on releasing shame and how 12-step programs are incredibly beneficial, even if you don't have a substance issue. Uh, There's so many awesome acronyms and analogies uh, from Whitney here. Michael Buble on his approach to creativity during a tough time. Also, he mentions a really fun way to get your kids excited to get ready for bed. I love that. And the perspective that the pandemic gave him. Pete Holmes on the variety of spiritual concepts he loves and how he applies them practically to his daily life, including what he says out loud every single morning as kind of a brain hack, I guess you could call it. Loved this. So fascinating. 
Preacher Lawson on what he ascribes to him being able to deadlift 525 pounds and why and how he feels great mentally, physically, and how he aligned his values with his actions. Nikki Glazer on one of her favorite simple ways to relax, uh, a tool that is free if you have a phone or a computer. I had never heard of this when we recorded with Nikki, so this whole concept was brand new to me at the time. Really so very good and very relaxing. It does work. Freddie Prince Jr. and a big theme here was balance. And when you find yourself out of balance, how do you get back to that middle ground? He shares um, about the foundation of his basically background in martial arts and all the people who influenced him growing up um, and, and how he keeps coming back to that. It'll blow your mind when you hear who his mentors are, by the way. Gad Elmaleh and the quote that gave him the boost of courage and confidence to move to America, learn English, and basically start over in a lot of ways. He also shares the free and simple things he does every single day to connect with himself and quiet his mind and how uh, meditation specifically is really changing, changing his life. And Mike Birbiglia, who shares his favorite book and the takeaways from his favorite book are phenomenal, as well as shares about his sleep disorder and how he's even in the DSM for what he has experienced and really how the disorder has impacted his work and career. So please enjoy this episode from some of our wonderful past guests. How did your love of fashion develop? So I'm Muslim. And I'm Pakistani, uh, and not to sound condescending, a lot of people don't know where it is, so I'm just going to tell you, it neighbors India. Um, and so we, uh, we have a certain culture that doesn't really uh, embrace Western clothing, and so I didn't really wear that as a kid. I was usually in traditional clothing, and modesty usually is required in our culture if you're raised in a, a Muslim household. And so I was required to wear really unflattering clothing but I would watch I, I was obsessed with uh, Melrose Place and Nano 210 when yeah. I was like five and so I wanted to dress like Brenda uh, and anyone else that was cool on any of those shows and so I started getting my family to my mom to buy me stuff that we would wear on like a Friday at school on Friday we'd have something called dress down Friday because the rest of the time we wear uniform and so I'd start to wear those at home, which was not great for my family. You could see the shape of my body, which was confusing for our family because usually you can't see the shape of somebody's body. Um, anyway, I started playing with clothing a lot. And then when I was like third, no, seven or eight. And then finally, when I got to the point of 13, so every summer up until 13, I would uh, work in my granddad's factory and he made uh, denim. And so I learned how to make my own clothes. And so if my family wasn't gonna buy it, I would just take the offcuts and make my own wardrobe. And, um, and I did that for years and years and years. And it encouraged me to, to dress the way I wanted to dress, to feel the way I wanted to feel. Because honestly, it's not as shallow as I think most people think. I think most people think, well, yeah, he puts people in clothes, who gives a shit? However, it's because I know what it does the way I feel like when I look in the mirror and I dress a certain way I know that I've considered everything I've put in my body and therefore I feel powerful I really do and I think that people are starting to see through the lights of queer eye when we put somebody in something they see the way they react to that as opposed to how they were at the start of the episode and like oh yeah that person who had zero confidence is walking out like they're the shit at this point and it's because of what they're wearing and that that reminds me of the importance of clothing how did Queer Eye come about for you specifically? I think that people assume that anybody in our industry has been working and working and working for so long to get to this point. 
and therefore they now like got that. This is their reward. They get a big show after slogging for years. That really wasn't the case for me. Um, I worked. I worked as a designer. I was thankfully very successful in business, but I never had thought that I would be in TV. I never thought that I would be in entertainment in general. I truly am one of those unique stories you hear where somebody called and said, do you want to be on a TV show? Um, and, uh, and, wow. and no interest. I wasn't, well, no, I was always this person, but I wasn't comfortable uh, being on camera. I was always like this, but I just had never thought of being in front of a camera. And so being in a Muslim household with, there were no photos. Like there's a photo from school, which my mom purchased you know those school photos that you have each year you have them here yes. right yes. Yeah. yeah and they cost quite a lot of money and uh, again we weren't very wealthy but one uh, one time my mum brought one of purchased one of those small ones um she bought a, a, a photo to just so, so I could re- remember what life was when I was a kid and that was literally the only photo I had until I hit my 20s and so and even then photos weren't very comfortable because we're not used to having photos and so again the job and saying, okay, you're the first one to shoot on set, and there's a set, there's a crew of 36 people on set waiting to shoot you today, and you stand in front of those cameras thinking, I don't even have my photo taken, and you want me to perform in front of this whole crew of people? Ter- truly terrifying. And so I, I didn't want to do the job. I was I didn't want to do the audition, uh, so I turned it down a couple of times, and then somebody um, uh, asked if they could FaceTime or uh, Skype me just to to meet me. And I was like, yeah, sure. They'd seen me through my social media. I didn't have a, a social media following really other than through my business. And I would just introduce what new products we had that month. I, I was a designer and I had women's clothing businesses. So I would talk through what new styles were dropping that month. But because of that, somebody from Netflix was a fan of the brand and loved my videos because I was Myself, I was a little bit sassy and I was very opinionated. And so she was like, this, there's this guy who just retired. I retired when I was 32. I saw my businesses and things were real, real good. And then um, she was like, well, he's got to be available. We're looking for somebody. We haven't been able to find this final person uh, who could fit into this um, fit into this role on Queer Eye. And so they're like, he's available. Let's ask him. And so we, we did a FaceTime call. It went really, really well. And then they asked if I would come to LA. And I was like, oh, no, thank you. I'm definitely not going to get the job. Like, I'm a brown, I'm Muslim. Like this, you're never going to put somebody like me on TV. I'm not going to waste my time. Thank you. And I don't need this. I'm, I'm comfortable just chilling at home now. I'm going to travel the world and have my children, and that's it. Um, but they convinced me to come out. They were like, it's not going to hurt. Like, it's just a day. All we're asking for is a day out of your life. Um, and so that I went. and. And then we went to start shooting a month later. Um, I turned up uh, on set and I was so, so nervous. And the, most of the season for season one is shot out of order. It's all random. But the first episode is the actual first episode we shot. Um, and if you watch that episode, I'm really quiet. I cried in between every scene uh, because I was so nervous. I'd, I'd tell them I needed the restroom uh, and I'd cry and then come back on set. And I felt physically sick. It wasn't just because it's terrifying being in front of uh, 30 random people who are waiting for you to dance. It was, I I honestly was terrified thinking people are going to come for me so hard because there aren't people like me on TV and you don't want to, you don't want to be the first one because people have their opinions and they're really nasty. And they do, if there isn't somebody like you, there's probably a reason. 
it's because they were also too scared to be on TV and to put themselves out there because you then do represent, I apparently represent over a billion people. There are a billion people like me in the world, but we just weren't ever given a platform. And so when you are the only one, you are expected to be perfect. You're expected to not fuck up at any turn. And it's actually really difficult. You had said that you read a book called uh, How to Stop Procrastinating. Yes. And that that inspired you to to do something you'd always wanted to do. Well, I, it was a thin little book because mm-hmm. if it was a thick book, I knew I would have never read it. Right. right. So that's Sensible. one thing. Um, and, you know, I've always had a problem with procrastination, but I think a lot of people do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so uh, I don't know where I saw the book. It said How to End Procrastination or something like that. So I'm like, let me check this book out. So I'm reading through the book, and one of the techniques is, um, they call it the salami technique. At least that's what they called it in this book. They said, if the goal seems big and insurmountable, um, chop it up into little goals. Mm. And, um, and they said, the first thing you should do is make a goal that is so easy that you can do it like in less than a minute. Mm. So I thought, I can do that. Yeah. So I had always wanted to skydive. I always had this dream of wanting to skydive. I have a tremendous fear of heights, but I thought that would be like a, I would never forget it if I skydived. Yeah. So I thought, well, there's something that I think is way too big to ever try to figure out. And then the salami technique was like, well, what's the smallest thing I can do to head in that direction? And I thought I was in a hotel on the road. I was in Atlanta. And I thought, all I have to do is look up skydiving in the yellow pages. That's all I have to do today uh-huh. to work towards that goal. Yeah. So I looked up skydiving in the yellow pages, and two days later I skydived. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Wow. Yeah. Oh, That's how fast. Oh my god. That's what so I was love like. <laughs> you know, because I'm looking at the, I'm looked it up, and they, there was a place near Atlanta skydiving uh, lessons or. And there's a telephone number right there. And I'm like, well, how can I not dial the number? It's right there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. That's yeah. just going to call the number and ask yeah. them. And I called and they're like, yeah, we have the ball. We have it tomorrow, the day after. And I'm like, next thing I knew, this process was wow. happening. Yeah. I called friends of mine who lived in Atlanta. Hey, you want to join in? And boom, boom, boom. Next thing I know, I'm in a rental car driving to yeah. Rome, Georgia and going up in a plane. And, you know, I ended up doing it. And it was um, absolutely terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> but... I did it. Yeah. So you have OCD, which I did not know. How do you care for that? I need to be organized. It, mm-hmm. it just, I just have to, when things are starting to get away from me, you know, I, that drives me crazy. I need to know what I have to do. I, I need to know who I need to communicate with. I need to make sure that all, all balls are in the air and happening. It's when things fall through the cracks. I'm like, if that fell through the cracks, what major things are falling through the cracks? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm not exaggerating, but if I've got five paper clips and now I only have four, I'm like, well, what major things in my life are falling apart? If I can't keep track of my oh, paper clips, okay. yeah. <laughs> I am off the rail. You know, yeah. My whole life could be off the rails. <laughs> like it represents I'm not in control. But what's weird is I think it has helped me with my comedy. Yeah. I'm very meticulous with my words yeah. and my bits. You know, like yeah. in comedy, there's always three goals. There's the new joke goal. There's the five-minute goal of the mm-hmm. next 
Fallon or whatever. And then there's the hour goals. And yeah. I want every one of these goals to, I want to hit them as strong as I can. And I think that meticulous part of me helps in that regard. Yeah. But that might not help me in life in general, but I think it has helped my career. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. Got an encyclopedia, a joke encyclopedia, where I, I basically alphabetize all my material and I keep it in what? a giant just Word doc and I just boop. Yep, alphabetize things in. Yep, I've I've actually transferred everything to a Google Doc so I can access it on my phone at all times. <laughs> oh, so I can. <laughs> so you I'm crazy. truly are suffering. <laughs> I'm not that crazy. <laughs> I lost a paperclip. <laughs> I thought we were talking about lighthearted stuff here. I'll go. <laughs> yeah, really, I, I relate yeah. completely. It's impossible to 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 ever be done with the organizing. It's always yes. like a quest. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But if you say you alphabetize your bits, yes. don't you go, well, maybe I should categorize these by subject matter or maybe I should categorize them by this. So there's that internal dilemma of if I alphabetize them, maybe then when I'm doing a set, I'll miss out on a bit that I wanted to pull out it and if, yes. I had, if I had it categorized another way yes it would yeah. be more efficient right I do this so I do like if I have kid material I'll go kids slash nanny kids slash brother kids right. slash so I have all this kid stuff and then I can just kind of pick and weep I'm a, I'm that's insane. amazing I'm yeah. insane. Oh, I thought that was like kind of a normal thing but oh, I like I guess no, it's not weird. yeah it's a but weird how thing how much material do you lose if you don't do that like I've I've exactly. had I'm material that I remembered that. and I was like oh it's actually pretty good I should do that again that's yeah. why I you started know? doing it yeah I kept forgetting my own bits and I remember like parts of it and like, oh, I used to say that with yes. it. And now I don't say it. So I yeah. just had to write everything down or I will forget. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I just did a, uh, a thing that's coming out. It's an hour long Ooh. and there's a, is it, is it a special? What if it was like a, a, a rhythmic dance routine that he's just breaking the it mold? Is. I thought that would be, I don't, I don't know, like, I don't know if that would sound yes. like I'm patting myself on the back. No. But it has oh my God, you were Netflix, so right? humble. Yes. Yeah. Netflix. Let's see what Let's but plug it. your Netflix special. <laughs> I did this thing. It's like 57 minutes. I, did, I didn't even go the full Taylor, hour. Is well, it a special? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, the cat's out of the bag. It, it, I guess that's what they're calling it. Um, but there's a bit in there. That is missing a part because I wasn't as organized as I wished I had been. Oh. It's and it'll kill me forever oh. the, because the, the bit isn't yeah. the, the, the best perfect it could be. version of the bit. Right. Uh, and now that it's on Netflix, I move away from that material. You know what I mean? Yeah, so it's like right. I consider that material done, and you know, so it's like, darn it, it, the more perfect version of it is not out there forever. Yeah. It's, it's an imperfect version of it. So oh, even though it, the bit works, it's not all it can be. Right. Oh, Interesting. Oh, so you're just, making me feel so yeah, much better right now. I like know. you beat yourself up too. It's such a relief. Yeah. Like, <laughs> we all kind of do that. Yeah. yeah. So when you guys watch the special, <laughs> you can just sit back and go, this is not as good as it could have been. I bet you it's this joke. This is the bit. This must be the bit because this is just kind of laying there. This pie's missing a piece. This feels like. This is clearly missing a funny part. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
here's the deal with 12 step programs. Like you don't have to have a drinking problem. You don't have to have a sex problem. You don't have to have a gambling problem or an eating problem. Like what 12 step programs have you know done for me is help me to reparent myself and help me just realize that I have more choices than I thought and, and release shame. You know, I think because women have been expected to be perfect and flawless and feminine and uh, for so long, what 12 step programs do is a bunch of people get in a room and they release shame and shame is the engine for maladaptive behavior. So it's, I would say, get in, get in the 12 step program and take it seriously. Mm. Uh, the one I'm in is Al-Anon, which is if you've grown up in a dysfunctional home and basically live your life using tools and weapons that worked when you were a kid and they're just no longer working for you. That's really all it is. Um, people are like, but don't you have to have an alcoholic raise you? We say in order to have alcoholism present, alcohol doesn't have to be present. So a lot of the maladaptive behaviors we get when we grow up in quote alcoholic homes is we try to micromanage and martyr ourselves and mother ourselves. We want to rescue people. We're in relationships we don't want to be in. We do things out of guilt and obligation. We have a hard time saying no. We self-deprive. Um, we take on too many workloads. Uh, we do too much. Um, we sort of uh, martyr ourselves onto other people under the guise of being nice and helpful. We're the people pleasers, the shapeshifters, the people who are kind of just always exhausted because we're always taking care of other people. And we never think anything we've done is good enough. Um, we feel guilt when we've done nothing wrong. Uh, we're the people who, you know, can't fire someone, even they've been terrible at their job for five years. <laughs> you know, we're the people that confuse love and pity um, and uh, can't tolerate discomfort of other people feeling rejected or criticized. Um, I'm great because I have a uh, leaf blower right outside and it's probably really making a horrible noise. I don't feel guilt. I feel fine about this. <laughs> this, this is recovery. I'm not stressing out. Um, not at all, buddy. Um, <laughs> I would say get into a program. It's free. It's like going to the gym. A 12 step program is like going to the gym for your brain. Yeah. Um, and you just learn some really incredible tools about sort of how to say no, how to not have every one of your holidays with your family be a complete fucking disaster, how to just release anger. Like when I was 30, I was so angry and uh, scared. I was so scared all the time. And I had so much grief. I didn't realize how much grief I was carrying around. You know, grief is a motherfucker. And you don't have to have a death in your family to feel grief. Um, I also didn't realize how much I had been cast in a role when I was a child and I was still kind of playing that role, but the show had been canceled and I was still kind of doing that part of, I need to cheer everyone up all the time and I need to be funny all the time and I need to be like tough and quippy. And I need, you know, I was very defensive. I thought I was at war with everyone all the time. I thought I did like be really tough. What up motherfucker? Like I was just very, um, you know, I'm going to hurt you before you hurt me. Uh, kind of mentality. I also, this is going to sound ironic given how much I'm bloviating here, but I also didn't know how to shut up and just listen. I was always so ready for the thing I'm going to say after what you say to make you like me and make you laugh. And like, I had to sort of like, it just took me so long to realize that the alpha sleeps and that truly powerful people don't have to prove to everyone how powerful they are. You can just be. There's this wolf sanctuary in. Uh, Palmdale, California, where they um, rehabilitate uh, wolves that have been bred to fight or been abused or whatever. There's a big like underground wolf trafficking sort of business, which is what oh, I do wow. on. Um, 
Yeah, I have cool hobbies. Um, and <laughs> I, uh, they go and they, they bring in these, um, you know, younger teenage boys um, uh, that are in rehab or that, you know, or have committed some kind of crime and they're juvenile delinquents or they're, in, you know, at-risk youth and they come in and they have lots of aggression issues and have trouble, obviously, articulating emotions and conflict is the only way they know how to solve um, uh, a problem is with aggression. And they show them all the wolves and there's, you know, the wolf pack is about 10, 12 wolves, right? And they say, okay, here's all the wolves. One is pooping, one is scratching, one is eating, one's like making a den, one is sleeping, one is barking, one is like trying to make a hole in the fence, one is scared, one is howling, whatever. And then first thing they ask is which one is the alpha, which is the most powerful wolf. And they always say barking or eating or whatever. And it's sleeping. The alpha always sleeps, right? The alpha has nothing wow. to prove. The alpha has nothing to prove. And so for me, I always try to remember when I'm in moments of conflict of like the alpha sleeps, the alpha does nothing. The omega is the one that goes around and tries to manage everyone. So for mm -hmm. me, it's like, is it kind? Is it necessary? Don't just do something, sit there. Like I don't need to engage every conflict that I'm invited to. Sometimes the best way to win is to not play. I love mm -hmm. that sometimes a sort of the best battle strategy is a masterful retreat, like take the gloves off. Um, silence is not stupidity. You're not rolling over. You're not a doormat. Um, you're not losing. Um, you know, the best thing sometimes we can do is just say, you know what? I'm not ready to talk about that yet. I actually need a couple days to process. Mm -hmm. It's like I, you're allowed to choose to not engage and you're allowed to take your time and think, uh, because you can never take words back. You can schedule your uncomfortable conversations <laughs> for when you are ready and prepared. And I need to go drink some water. I need to eat something. I need to pee. I need to take a nap. And until those things have happened, I cannot even engage with you about any of this because my cup is not right. full. Right. You know? So, and you can't you know, take words back, like you said. We say halt, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, right? Halt. If you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, you do nothing until you've solved those four things. And then now we can have a conversation about that text that just came in on my phone. Uh, I'm, you know what I mean? Hungry, That's angry. so good. Halt. Putting this. So many, I'm going to have so many tattoos by the end of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, how's quarantine life treating you? I'm imagining you're, you know, juggling your busy schedule and homeschooling the kids and all that stuff. What is that like? Yeah, I'm 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 boring at the best of times. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's like wake up in the morning and uh, homeschool, and I'm insecure because I feel like my son's in grade one, and I'm already getting stumped by the math questions. <laughs> I'm just gonna ask, yeah. Oh my god, like a yeah. weird like PTSD flashback <laughs> yeah, to yeah. school. Like, it's oh, so I didn't funny. learn this back then. Now I have to teach it to somebody. Totally, and I feel like I'm so. It's like, what's wrong with me? Why was I this stupid then too? Was I like, um, but it's cute, you know. Like my son last night, I, 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 my routine going to bed is I put my my two boys sleep together and they're six and four. And so my wife goes with the with the with the baby with the one year old, and I take the two boys. And I always we have like a I call it instead of going to sleep we call it the music party. So I'll go on Apple and I'll 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 find like really cool tunes like that I love from the forties or fifties or six whatever. And, um, but we always pray before we go to sleep. And my son last night said, uh, can I do the pray puppy? And I said, yeah. And he said, um, God, please, can you, can you please make my dad more patient when he teaches me homeschool? 
like, oh, I'm a horrible person. Like, dear Lord, please help my dad remember how to subtract. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) What a passive aggressive (laughs) prayer, too, that he's like doing it with you sitting right there. So passive aggressive. Make him better. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. exactly. How are you sort of professionally pivoting and also, you know, just in your personal life, sort of dealing with that lack of immediate feedback, like you're talking about as a live entertainer that you're so used to getting on a regular basis? You know, my friends are, they're not sure about their jobs and they're, they're not, they're, they're worried about their, their taking care of their families and groceries and paychecks. And so I have a pretty clear perspective and what's what I've been to. I, listen, I don't even worry about it. We're grieving because our world is never going to be the same. We're yeah. grieving for people that we love. We're, gr- we're grieving for the, the vulnerable. I mean, very quickly, I realized like whatever my worries were, were just mm. kind of bullshit compared to what is really happening you know and of course i of course i wish i could i wish i could go out there and do it but um what's weird is i thought i'd have a ton of time to to write i thought i'd have a ton of time to to be creative and work on a new record but i don't i've been doing interviews and i've been taking just my kids alone just it's weird how um there's never as much time as you think there is. I'll be honest. There's like we've had terrible days here where my wife literally like picks me up because I'm, I'm not good. You know, I'm, I'm scared. I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm, you know, uh, and then there's days when it's the same for her. And I think that everyone's, like I said, we are all dealing with it. You know what? In our family, that's, we pray, we, um, you know, we, we try to take it a day at a time, sometimes a minute at a time. This is, a, I'm in a podcast with comedians and I've taken this down to a point where we're <laughs> literally no, cut it no. I have an idea. What if we all come together and we record Imagine? We will save the world. <laughs> You're welcome, world. Everything's fixed now. <laughs> Everything's fine now. Finally. Just one big group Zoom call. We can yeah. do it. Yeah. Yeah. This is Richard Rohr, who's a Franciscan friar. Don't back off. He's pro-lady. He's pro-gay. He doesn't think you're going to hell. He doesn't believe anything. He's just the greatest. Okay. Uh, and he says that, lo- this is his quote, he says, love is learning to say yes to what is. And I think that is, Ooh. we all throw around the word love and, yeah. we're, and we're trying to say we love things. And here's how it applies to me practically. It's 9.30 and my, I have a baby and she gets up at like 5.30 sometimes, sometimes 6, mostly 6. Yeah. But she gets up very early. And as I was saying, I had a spot last night. And, and, and you're waking up and it's still dark. That's basically the thing. And yeah. you're not catching a flight. <laughs> you're, yeah. You're just, you're just going to get your baby. And you love your baby. It's not like my, my baby doesn't annoy me. There's no like cigarette in my mouth. I'm like, God damn it. There's, not, there's no energy I like that. I used to that. be a legend. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, it's not even like I wish I was sleeping. It's, it, it's so beyond thought, your love for your baby. So it's early for me. And also when I'm doing press, I do this. Like you have to get up before you want to for stuff like that. Anyway, here's how it applies to me in practical terms. You're waking up. Your eyes are opening in a dark room. And I'll say out loud, I'll say yes, I'll say yes. And that's kind of a cheesy way, but it's very practical. Your brain has no idea what to do 
This is very Buddhist. I'm sorry to be so spiritual. I'm no, just no, saying. No, we this love is it. why we had this you on. I'm not spiritual because it's a hobby or, or because I think it's cool. You know, <laughs> right. yeah. it's, be, it's because I desperately need it and enjoy it. Yeah. So that's why yeah. it's going to come out. Is so Buddhism is a lot of it is our suffering comes from resistance, right? Mm-hmm. And and it's from a story that you tell yourself. So in the morning you could be telling yourself a story like I should be sleeping longer, or mm-hmm. it's unfair that I have to get up right now. You just say yes. Your brain doesn't know what to do. It it, it removes the resistance, mm-hmm. and then in the Buddhist way it removes the suffering. Your brain. But almost, I think you could almost look at it biochemically. Your brain doesn't know what to do if you're suffering and you say yes to it. And I'm talking about small suffering. I don't want to, let's not even get into big suffering where people are really like, really hurting and and deep stuff. Let's not trivialize that. But with our little piddly stuff, I started saying yes, thank you. Not just yes, but thank you. Mm. Meaning like, Hmm. I'm here to live. I'm here to suffer too. It's part of it. Mm. Somebody explained as soon as you move forward, backwards exists. So as soon as you have pleasure, like pain exists, you're here for all of it. So as soon as you sort of love is saying yes to what is, including yeah. your suffering, and then you, you can see that your brain just goes like, it, the suffering stops. Mm-hmm. Meaning you can still see it. It's still like a burning coal, but you're not clinging to it. If you follow oh. a preacher on Instagram, he just deadlifted 525 pounds. Is that what it was? Yeah. Oh, my God. What a weak yeah. vegan. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I know. How are you? Yeah. You must be so nutrient deficient, preacher. <laughs> that no. blew my mind. I think a lot of people, they always they always talk about the physical. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I always lost weight. And, I, you know, I trimmed up and this and that. But it, it's always, it's, I feel better mentally. Like, I, was, I feel like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I used yeah. to get tired during the day. I'm like, why am I tired? I'm 20, 25 years old. Yeah, right. And then, um, yeah, I just feel good. I just yeah. felt good. But I did for ethical reasons. Yeah. Do you remember the documentary that you watched that kind yes. of sparked it? Yes. <laughs> yes. Earthlings. If you told me I was going to be a, a vegan four years ago, I'd be like, whatever. I'm, no. I, I, yeah. I'm not going to. No. I'm yeah. not going to. Not gonna, that's, that sounds so stupid. When people find out you're a vegan, what are the reactions you get? What are the questions you get? And how do you handle that? Well, I always get worried about protein. Yeah. And all protein comes from plants. Thank you. Thank all you, preacher. Thank you. you. Yes. <laughs> Yes, it's all, anytime you eat meat, it's recycled protein, you know, uh, so it's like it just, that's where they get their protein from, it's from plants, they get the calcium from, so it's like, uh, when people ask me where I get my protein, I always point to Kendrick Ferris, he's uh, only Olympian weightlifter to qualify for the Olympics, um, and he broke records, he was a vegan, and so you gotta remember, you gotta know that, uh, that, we're 3% in the world. So if you take like 100 people and you take three as vegans and 97 as meat eaters, 97 meat eaters didn't make it and one of the three vegans did. So, wow. So, Oof. yeah. That says yeah. a lot. And I feel, and I, 525 is the most I've ever deadlifted. The only diet to reverse heart disease is a plant-based diet. Right. So what does that say? So what's causing it? It's everything outside of that. Can you walk me through what you eat in a day? Uh, when I wake up, I'll have oatmeal, fruit, bananas okay. uh, with some cinnamon on top. Um, for lunch, I might have like a burger or something like that. I just it's just a vegan burger, you know. So okay. uh, Beyond Meat patty or something like that. Those are so good. Mm-hmm. So good. Those yeah. are insane. The Impossible Burger is really good too. Okay. Yeah. Then I'll have like uh, at night. I'll probably have like I don't know some beans, rice. I always like quinoa. I'll have chickpeas. Mm-hmm. I'll make okay. chickpea dishes. Okay. Uh, lots of vegetables. Okay. What was that quote you posted on Instagram? I thought that was so good. Oh, about it, God, oh, so it wasn't. Good. I think it was it's about, about low waste, waste but, but still, I think it applies it to this too. Yeah, we don't. We don't need a handful of people doing it perfectly. We need millions of people doing it imperfectly. Yeah, like I think it's great. Beautiful. Look, some people are are really going uh, hard on like low waste stuff. Some people do meatless Mondays. Some people are vegan. Some people are vegetarian. It all helps, right? It 
it all helps. It's interesting because people do it for different reasons. Some people do it for environmental reasons. Some people do yeah. it for ethical reasons. Some people do it for health reasons. I, I just tell people I'm doing it for the trifecta at this yeah. point. Mm. This is probably more of a hypothetical because this isn't really a thing. Uh, like, unless it's a tiny independently owned farm or something. Are you against, like, animals being food no matter how they're treated or is it mostly the treatment that you're like well this is why good question i can't eat meat you know what i mean like if if they're really if you knew that when you got meat it was like this cow died of natural causes this isn't a real thing that could ever happen diseased or something. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Like, no, this cow was 85 i have a situation i'd like to talk about so yeah, kelsey please. let's say that after this podcast i killed you <laughs> I killed you in this lobby right now, okay? I just want the video the cameras to show on record that if I die today, she needs to be arrested. Just... Say on the what other the hand, fuck? No, let's yeah. no, but let's say on the other hand, I'm just trying to use a person. Okay, it could okay. be anybody, a person, right? No, yeah. but let's say, let's say no, I, that didn't happen. But okay. after the show, instead, I took you to a movie, yeah. I bought you a massage, I fed you a nice dinner, and then I killed you. <laughs> Am I? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh man, so good. What is, that was what is, spin around for a second. That deserves a spin around. <laughs> so anyway, the point is. So what you're saying I'm still is murdering oh Kelsey. You that... whipped at me before you did. It. He was like, she knew it was coming. <laughs> so imagine, yeah. I murder you. Like, hey, what? I think you went to murder too fast, though. That was <laughs> she hit that line hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? I killed you. Well, it's I supposed to be you. shocking, right? Because we're, it's really we're basically taking, you're talking about one animal, and I'm talking about another animal, but we've, yeah. we've separated humans and every everything Here. else. Earthlings messed me up. Because I, I, to be Ooh, honest with you, watch. everything you're it. telling me, if you had told me that four years ago, I'd be like, man, that sucks, man. Yeah, same. Ah, that sucks. Yeah. Same. But you know what else is good? Chicken. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. I would, that's, that was my thought. I was like, I like chicken. And then yeah. I seen earthlings. So you yeah. know what earthling is? Come yep. on now. Yeah. He is like Jesus or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he is. He's just he's just like the he's like the number one guy. Mm-hmm, he's yeah. just so smart. He just uh he um he definitely helped me help me in my vegan journey if it's yeah. uh, weird mm. that sounds. You no, know? yeah. Because he, he definitely breaks things down and and yeah. he's a smart guy and he's he's like younger than me. It's weird. After you saw that, was there any party that's like, okay, I'll stop eating animals, but like fish are dumb. Like, was there that kind of thing? Where <laughs> I like, was just about to ask that. Like, you can't you, scream underwater. Where do you feel yeah. about about fish? <laughs> well, I just feel like any. Uh, my argument is, I don't want to cause any unnecessary pain. I don't think we don't. You know, we don't. I think we can all agree that intelligence doesn't dictate. Um, you know, worth. Right. I think. I think yeah. the fact that we're more intelligent than these creatures. I think it's our job to be the bigger sister, bigger brother, mm. and to take cool. care of them. That's so, so nice. I, I think yeah. I think if you look at the people that thought they were more superior than you know other races or beings, yep. And if oh you look God. at the history, they do the most damage. Can you guys explain what the fuck yes, ASMR is? listeners? Because yeah, I don't so know what it auto is. Auto sensory meridian, meridian response. response. Yeah. So it is 
usually you start you you felt it like in your life as a child like mm-hmm. i have distinct memories of feeling like this insane pleasure of like in my brain where it's like just feels like they call it tingles like feels yeah. like you're like like it feels yeah. like you're buzzing numbing, buzzing yeah, yeah. like and god it's usually, is vibrating you like, yeah like uh, but it's not sexual but it's in like it's your just, head and spine it's not yeah, like, it your feels like you're just like anything. oh my god like yeah. you know like how a dog feels when you scratch them and they're just yes. like yes okay uh-huh. um and so it, it, it feels naughty because it does feel so good. So the, all, the times that I experienced it were always with women because I like women's soft-spoken voices. So I would two parts that stand out to me in my childhood was like one time on Angela Reed's bed in second grade. We were reading a princess <laughs> book. We were reading some book and she was turning the pages and reading it. And I was just like, I want to live like this forever. Like this is the best feeling. Like, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. And then another time was like my best friend's mom was like volunteering in our classroom and was helping us with math homework and she had like a charm bracelet that was like clanking against the desk softly as she was writing like over my shoulder and she was like then you carry the four and then you and i was just like, oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) and so i really um so those but then i just i found it i stumbled upon the community and realized it was a thing because i was just like getting into massage videos for some reason like i really what like if my foot hurt and if i wanted a foot massage I would just watch a foot massage video because I'd yes. be like, oh, I want it. And then I started wow. realizing that a lot of them, I was just enjoying massage videos about with any body part. And then mm-hmm. I realized a lot of them were like ASMR massage. I'm like, what is ASMR? And then I was like, whoa. Like if I have a hip problem that I just want to get at, I like to watch people getting it done, like right in the yeah. spot. Yes. Like, it makes me feel better. Just picturing it is satisfying right now. Yeah. I and remember so, yeah. like probably first grade and having a slumber party one of those first slumber party experiences where you do the hair braiding chain and just feeling like melting into a puddle of pure bliss and that's still that like going to a doctor's office and having a doctor be like so tell me what's wrong like individual focused attention like Uh, that as they're like touching your lymph nodes i'm just like okay that's a a big trigger for people that one isn't so much for me with like the individual but like that is the one of i think the hugest sub categories of asmr is yeah he's like Welcome to the salon. What now? What kind of mm, uh, that's my shit right there. Wow! Yes. I no, I had no idea. I have definitely had the whole like when somebody's braiding your hair experience, right. like yeah. as a kid or whatever. But, but I have the soft talking or something. no. When you sent me the soft talking about like the girl yeah. in the salon, I was like, what the? But fuck the thing is, that makes me say what the fuck too because <laughs> okay. I, that's not a trigger okay. for me. For me, I like. Um, like massage videos are good, but I m- most of the ones I watch are women flipping through magazines, just like commenting on things with a soft oh, silken really? voice, just kind of being like, "Wow, oh, this is on sale for seventeen ninety nine." And weird, it's kind of cute. Like, I, I think like that's whoa. weird. I don't want them to pretend that I'm oh, there. I kind of yeah. just want to oh, overhear, okay. like almost like a podcast of them just like doing something mundane. Wow, um, or eating. I really like listening to people eating. That is fun. Really? Yeah. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, do you yeah. like? Is this before like you go to chewing. sleep? Is it like when you're getting ready in the morning? Sometimes when do you listen like to better this? Better when I'm hungry. Like if I'm just like in one of those moods where I like I could just eat forever, where I'm like could binge. I just instead will like eat till I'm full and try to watch a video and like watch other people eat. So like it's so interesting. I like really love it. I realized that when I was on a plane once and this girl was eating sun chips next to me and I was just the whole plane just like. Oh my god, like the way she crunched was perfect. It was so good. Really so funny. everybody can experience this feeling or only some people no, can experience it. No, it's not like it. squirting. Not everyone can do it. So not everybody can so you can watch these videos and there's nothing for you. Yeah. Yeah, like if you have AS, you probably don't have ASMR because I think a lot of people experience huh. like a good feeling when people touch their hair, but it's like different 
because you have I have like multiple moments in my life where this feeling that came over me and it was like really it was just like like oh my god pinnacle moments that I'll never forget so yeah. the ASMR thing how often are you guys watching or listening to every this day stuff? multiple times every day Real, I don't do it that wow. much because I don't want it to wear off I feel like if That's I watch smart. yeah if I watch it too much I start to desensitize do you listen or watch or both or like how how do you like to I do both I do both too. Like, yeah, I mainly, I have an app. I have a, like a YouTube kind of app thing where you can play the video and do other apps. Okay. Yeah. So it'll just play in the background, just the audio oh, of it. Good. So I do that sometimes, but I, there's some, like if a magazine I'll want to like watch along, but yeah. like, yeah. I generally just like close my eyes and I'm out and I, I've, I don't get tingles anymore. Like it's done for me, but it's still it's relaxed. So relaxed. It's just so yeah. rubbed raw. How far into the video do you start to feel something? Does it take a while? I feel like it's right away. Right me. away, you feel yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I. What? It's gone for me, like I said. But oh. when I have experienced it, it's been. It's like right away. Okay, yeah. so as like an ASMR noob, which one should I watch? If I if like my best shot at feeling something, who should I watch? What should it what be? Yeah, yeah, you gotta like just like look around at different kinds of ASMR videos, like. Just okay. Google ASMR and then go to the top ones, and I, it'll yeah. scan like a bunch of different genres. So you can okay. just check out what you're into. But there's so much. Wow. Yeah. yeah. If you can just pull any memory of like something that made you feel soothing, yeah, whatever that was, type it in. Okay. Join a British still? lady that does. <laughs> No, no. Okay, but I would get comfortable. I would like lay down. There's a British lady who does one some where she's just like showing you her makeup and stuff. I was just gonna say that's my favorite. Do you do you ever get the tingles if you're getting hair and makeup done for a TV show? I do like the hair thing. Anybody who's like playing with my hair, brushing it, does them talking to you do anything? Like I don't, like, I don't right, think I've, I don't think so. I'd rather them not talk and just touch oh. my head. When we were in Sephora and I was like putting highlighter on you and explaining to you how the highlighter works and stuff, does that do anything or are you just like no, dead inside? In the end, it maybe feels yeah. good. But yeah, I think I've maybe the physical touch. I have a video but... I'll send you that uh, a hair one that I was into that you might be into. Okay. okay. But you also might really be like, not <laughs> into it. And you'll know right away. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. so excited today to be joined yeah. by Freddie French Jr. What is happening? <laughs> happening I cannot believe too. this is happening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't get to see your reaction meeting him. Did I you? basically said, I can't believe I'm talking to you right now. Hello, I'm Delaney. <laughs> she, she hugged me for way, way longer than was necessary. Like when you first meet somebody. It's usually like, oh, hey, right on. Like, that's like the new handshake. I took a sniff, you know. I really took like, it in. It uh, I took creepy. a little clipping of his jacket for a souvenir. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was like a hole in it. Did I get a haircut? Yeah. So before we started the show, we talked about maybe a favorite or least favorite quote, perhaps. Oh, yeah. You mentioned that. So everyone knows like the uh, the the running water never grows stale, mm. which is like one of my favorites to live by. Um, my godfather is Bob Wall. And Bob okay. was the guy who was in all the Bruce Lee movies back in the day. He was the guy, oh. uh, they, Bruce and him found each other. They were both badass martial artists. Yeah. And they kind of trained one another. And uh, when my dad died, I didn't have any male influence. And so my mom sort of handed me off to this is like the illest circle of dudes ever, but it was Bob Wall, 
Gene LaBelle, Chuck Norris, and Pat Johnson. <laughs> oh okay? And they all lived in Tarzana, California. Yeah. And uh, they would just pass me around <laughs> from like teacher to teacher to like teach wow. me how to be a man. Right? Oh, yeah. So Bob, he basically said, you know, there's a, this balance between, or this this delicate balance between nature and balance, right? And you don't want to go too much in either direction. He said, if we go one way, which would be the way of science, then we become, you know, almost a mechanical man. He's mm-hmm. like more more machine than man. If we go the other way, it would be very unscientific. And so it's not about being natural or unnatural it's about unnatural naturalness mm. or natural unnaturalness <laughs> and yeah. that's the direct quote that last part yeah, and yeah. when i was 12 that didn't mean shit right. um but when i started having success in this business and relied on on outside things to sort of bring me that balance mm-hmm. which i needed to correct from time to time um, that's when it started to make sense. When I did too much work trying to make too many movies back to back to back to back, and yeah. I kind of lost myself. And then when I burnt out because of that and mm-hmm. quit, um, and went the exact opposite direction and then went too far that way. And I wasn't really following any of the teachings mm. that, that these great men had given me. I didn't start figuring this out until I was about 30. And that's when I was like, ah, oh, that's what he meant. Oh, that's what mom meant. And uh, and then once that happened, like I said, everything started to click. My my sitcom that I did got canceled, and it really like messed me up because we were their highest rated comedy. Yeah. We were doing everything right, and they wanted me to fire two characters, and I just wasn't going to do that. My ego got stripped. I mean, all the good and bad parts of it yeah. just ripped out from under me. And I was sitting in my office, and Sarah's like, are you going to be okay? I was like, well, I have to be. But I just, I don't know how yet. Yeah. And uh, I was lost for about a year. I joined the WWE and started <laughs> writing for professional wrestlers. What? Because I, <laughs> I grew up loving wrestling. Yeah. I lived in the same building as Shane, uh, Vince's son. And they asked me to take a meeting with uh, Vince on some randomness at a pay-per-view that I went to. But the quick of it was... I went on this like year-long journey where I had no idea who I was. I knew I wanted to be retired. I knew I I couldn't deal with what I felt the business had become. And I needed, Mm. I guess, what was a break, but I called it retirement. And so this was a good way because you're on the road every week. I was on the jet with Vince, the black WWF jet, WWE jet, every single week, flying to every city, working with the talent that he felt had a shot. And he just wanted to like brush up their, their acting and things like that. But I still wasn't happy. I wasn't satisfied. Didn't know what it was. And then, uh, one of the wrestlers there, her name was Eve Torres. And, uh, she married this jujitsu dude, uh, Henner Gracie. Mm -hmm. And, my family, Bob Wall, my godfather, and all those, they used to always train jujitsu, and they used to always try to make me. And I had gotten so far away from martial arts, which was my balance. That was my middle from between work that I had to do and dreams, right? Like yeah. that was the middle where I never thought about either one. Because if yeah. you do, you get punched in the face. <laughs> You're focusing on not, you know what I mean? Yeah. You yeah. can't think about anything. Yeah. yeah. That was the balance, a long-winded version of what I kind of needed to to find myself again. And now I'm back. I, I'm yeah. doing a new show this summer and, oh, and have awesome. all my other stuff going. And I don't 
feel too overwhelmed by it. Can you get into the burnout that you experienced when you were taking all those movies and like, what did that feel like? Uh, what, were you, what was going on for you? You know, I didn't even want to act when I was a kid. Mm. And uh, my family put a lot of pressure on me that, uh, you know, I wish they wouldn't have, but now I'm glad they did. I'm happy yeah. for the life that I have. So had. are we. <laughs> 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 Thank you. Insert creepy comment of every girl from the 90s. Sorry. Okay. So, yeah. so, you know, I felt a lot of pressure to kind of pick up where my father left off. Yeah. And then uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just knew who I was. And I went on this run with Miramax. So the burnout came right at the end of Miramax. And I had done She's All That. I had done a movie called, it was with Julia Stiles. I Down to You. Thank you. There you oh, go. Yeah. Why do I know um, your movies? You don't. Well, I didn't so see it. You did. <laughs> <laughs> Have you not seen that movie? No. No, I didn't see it. Oh, wow. Well, I, I read the script. I know how it ends. Right. They worked, right. They worked it out. That's yeah. so they worked crazy. It out. That's so it weird to pretty, me that you haven't seen that Pretty people with problems. It usually goes okay. Like <laughs> in about 98 minutes. Wow. Um, now it's about 112. But, uh, but yeah, so I did that one. And this was only like my sec my first movie where it was really me, Right. right. And so I, I was not looking forward to doing the next job. And the next job was in Vancouver, and we were on nights, and I rapped at 5 a.m. on Down to You and flew to Vancouver and landed at, like, whatever time, 10 a.m., 9 a.m., drove to set and started oh shooting God. with no rehearsals on this movie oh. with all these like supermodels. Holy shit. Head over and heels. <laughs> oh my God. So this is what it's going to be. This is going to be an hour. <laughs> it's not my fault. You don't know your own movie. Well, I didn't see that one. I didn't see that one. It might've been something else on the screen. Another one of my favorites. It might've been named something else. So, so I went out there and started shooting right away. And it was with Mark Waters who yeah. directed The House of Yes, which mm -hmm. I saw, deal with it. Boom. And, uh, <laughs> and I was not ready for that movie. I wasn't ready for the role. I hadn't had time to prepare. I you felt... didn't even sleep between you, like, rapping yeah, and got on a plane. but I didn't even, like, I just wasn't ready. Some yeah. of it's on me. Some of it's on the schedule. Yeah. I just wasn't in the space. My girlfriend and I were in the middle of, like, our final breakup. And so it was just really wrecking me. Yeah. And and she cheated on me and I still wasn't able to like just get rid of her. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so I was mad at myself for that. Mm -hmm. And uh and I just wasn't I didn't do a good job. And I knew it. Like every day I'd get home from work and I'm like, I'm not doing a good job. I'm not doing a good job. And then the director from She's All That called in the middle of the movie and he's like, Hey, I, I want you to come do this movie with me. And uh it's going to be great. We're going to shoot in San Francisco, and I really want to work with you again. His name's Rob Iskove, and I loved Rob. And he could have said it was anything, and I would have been like, yeah. Yeah. And so I said, yes. When does it start? And it started the day after <gasps> this one wrapped. Oh, my God. And so That's I got there. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I got, I got to San Francisco. I don't remember the name of this one. And then they hired this great British actress. I don't want to say her name because they fired her. But uh, she was doing great, but they fired her on some bullshit. Okay. Not because of talent. Like, yeah. for real, on some bullshit. Yeah. And they recast her 
on the day we're supposed to start principal photography with Claire Forlani. So now she was coming into the situation I went into on my last movie. Oh. So we didn't have really time to like gel and groove. Yeah. And I wasn't enjoying that process until right around the end and then it was over. Yeah. And I literally flew back from San Francisco on like we worked an all-nighter on the first flight out, came home sat on my couch that all these movies had helped me buy this nice house and all this. Yeah. So I felt weird complaining. Yeah. But I sat on the couch and it was, and I was so, still so early in my career and it was the first time I ever went, yeah, I'm fucking done. Like oh, I was wow. just, I hadn't had the Parker Posey experience yet. Mm. And I hadn't felt the way I watched her feel about it every day. And so I started questioning whether I was in the right business, whether I was doing the right thing, yeah. whether I was just chasing a damn ghost and and you can't catch him. Yeah. It ain't the movies. So, yeah. you know, I, I was already thinking about leaving then and then did a bunch of movies that I hoped would be fun that would give me that feeling. Like, yeah. like Summer, <laughs> Summer Camps. <laughs> Remember that one? Boom. Oh, never saw it, but, but I know the name. It's a good one. And, uh, <laughs> but I went out there to play baseball, which I thought would be, which mm -hmm. I thought would be really fun. And yeah. it was, but I still didn't have the experience. And it wasn't until this tiny little movie I did called Brooklyn Rules uh, that Terry, it was basically Terry Winters, the guy who wrote and won all his awards for Sopranos and, mm -hmm. and Boardwalk Empire. It's his biography, basically, and I got to play him. Wow. Oh, wow. And uh, so I fell in love, and that was the first time I had that experience where I knew I was loving what I was doing. Mm. And then as soon as it was over, the next movie I did, which isn't the movie's fault, and I don't remember the name, mm -hmm. but uh, it just couldn't hold up. I was on this movie, and I hated every moment of it. I got injured, a terrible back injury, oh, wow. and just everything was going wrong. And I came home from Toronto, landed in LA, and I told Sarah, I'm done. Wow. She was like, what do you mean you're done? I said, I'm done. I know I'm done. I'm done. Mm. And then I got hired to do 24, and yeah. uh, I did it for that one season. And then I was like, yo, I'm definitely done. <laughs> and that was when I was done. I, yeah. And I took this huge 10-year break or however long yeah. it was. Yeah. We talked oh about gosh. burnout a lot on this podcast because we've all individually uh, dealt with it. And man, hearing your burnout story, that is next level. God. That's I, something else. And yeah. I burn out a lot. And it's not, and it's a lesson that I have a hard time learning. And I'm yeah. really, I'm telling you guys, I'm a good student. Like, <laughs> I, I, yeah. as far as like life goes, I know I've worked a lot of it out. But for whatever reason, I go too hard, no matter what it is. You know the story of Sisyphus? He was like cursed to roll the boulder up the hill only right. to have it roll all the way back down. Yeah. Like that's how I deal with burnout. I'm like, um, this time I got it. <laughs> <laughs> and my friends, my wife. I'm ready. Like, yeah, they'll be like, Freddie, the, every time you tried to yeah. push this boulder up this hill, it's rolled down. And not because you're weak, because a God who you know because you were there cursed you and told you. That yeah. even though you know it's going to happen, you have to do it. And you're denying all these facts and looking yeah. me dead in the face and saying, this time you got it. Oh, and I'll yeah. look him dead in the face and be like, yes. Yeah. And then fail and pretend it didn't happen and go back to him and be like, guys, I figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> this time, I got, I got it. it. The point of this was how do you deal with burnout? I don't know. I just know I failed at it a bunch. 
I clean. I love uh, I love cleaning. I do the dishes. I get so much anxiety. I love doing that. That's it. I understand that. When I feel overwhelmed and stressed out and anxious, I come home and I reorganize my whole bedroom, my closet. I get rid of things. I donate exactly. things. Exactly. That's throw what I do. Away, wipe Bags things down. Yeah. 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 It feels good. It feels so good. And then like, you're like, oh, shit, that shirt was nice. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I, I go too far. too far and I'm like, oh, I only yeah. have one pair of pants now. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real control thing. It is. It's, it's a real it's, easy uh, way to feel controlled. And this and also um, playing music because uh, I was going to be a musician when I when I grew up. I grew up in Morocco. I wanted to be a jazz musician. Really? Oh, wow. so I thought I was going to be a jazz pianist. And I learned piano and I played piano for years. And and I thought really I was going to be a, a musician. That, that was going to be my life. But I was not talented enough and I didn't work enough, I would say. When I play music, uh, it really um, uh, bring, brings me um, um, a serenity, like a, a yeah. calm and... I cannot think about so many things when I do this. So it's really a, a kind of meditation to play music when mm-hmm. I'm home. I feel that way when I paint. I don't know about you guys, yeah. but when I paint, uh, I just, I feel like I'm not, I just disappear. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just not there. And I, yeah, I'm not even thinking about anything. Yeah. It's such a nice break from my own mind. Yeah. Some people, they, they say when they cook, it's like this. Some people, they say when they garden, gardening, I can't do this. I don't know how to do it. I would be really anxious. It would be uh, worse. But uh, playing music is really something that really cuts me from all those the, the rumination. Yeah, mm, wow, totally. What a word. This is I love you being impressed by your own vocabulary. <laughs> <laughs> what a word that was. Yeah. And we'll be right back. Oh. Just perfect. Yeah. My yeah, favorite yeah. word in English is fuss. Fuss. Yeah. Make a fuss. Really? I don't know. It's really, because it doesn't match with the meaning. Yeah. Fuss is more, it sounds more like something you can eat. If I give you a, a good tea with some fuss, it's, it can work too. You know? Make it a side of fuss. Chocolate fuss. Yeah. Oh, like, oh, kind of like mousse? Oh, chocolate yeah. mousse, chocolate yeah. fuss. All right, chocolate fuss. It, there's fudge and mousse, and it's, I think it's a mix between fudge and mousse, and it's a, a fuss. fuss. Oh, yeah. all right. You sold me. <laughs> you know, that's funny, because I thought when the word, when the all the, the Fitbits were popular, I thought that was a snack at first. I was like, what are these Fitbits? A I want to try them. I oh. thought they were like a healthy snack. <laughs> Does sound Fitbit, like... I thought, was like, like a snack yeah. well. And I hear that Fitbit sounds like... A comedian who does the Fitbit. It's a bit about, you know, the, oh, did you see the Fitbit? Oh my God. So funny, the Fitbit. It sounds like this for me. I have a great bit about how French quotes are very negative. Negative. Can you share? I'd love to hear what your, like, your genuine favorite quote is, if you have one. And also, I have a genuine and, 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 the the sad part of of this is that every time I I say it, people yeah. like they finish it for me, like they they they, they know it already. They know it, and yeah. I sound a little cheesy, but I don't care. Because oh, I, I love, love it. it. We love cheesy. Um, and this quote helped me a lot. The woman who told me that one day about I was gonna move to America. I didn't know really. I was scared. And this woman is very known. Her name is Diane von Furstenberg, DVF. Yes, mm. she's a queen of fashion in New York, and she's and she's a she's a great woman. She's a powerful woman in a good way. Like she defends women's rights. She's passionate about um, a great foundation for women. She obviously 
she's a, a, a the queen of the fashion, but she's yeah. also a very creative and inspiring woman. And I was hesitating, didn't know. And she said to me this phrase that you've heard maybe, maybe a thousand times, but I love it. And she said to me, Gad, the only things we regret in life are those uh, the things we didn't do. You cannot regret something you've done, even if it's a mistake. You cannot regret a project, you're, you, even a failure, even... And I was like, yeah, this is, I'm going to do that. I'm going to move to America. I'm going to do that project. I'm going to go. It was very, even if you were comfortable, I was in Europe and the career and everything. It's really starting over and yeah. it's starting from scratch, basically. And coming here to America, I needed to to find some courage to do it, you know. Yeah. Um, and this this phrase, this thing helped me. I don't want to, I was like, I don't want to become one day an old man and and tell to my grandchildren, you know what, I almost went to America in, 19, yeah. in 2016, but, uh, but what? But, uh, and then people are never honest. Your yeah. mother... <laughs> yeah, I know. Or, or, <laughs> right, you know, right. Oh, people didn't understand really that I was funny at that time. No, if you want to do something, just do it. And and yeah, I don't regret that. You know, it takes uh, yeah. courage, but I, I don't. Yeah. Oh, and how has it been going? It seems now, like now, it's, so yeah, it's going well. It's going yeah. well. It's good. I'm very happy, but still, it's a lot of work. Right. Um, it's a lot of work, um, especially on the language for the first year, and then the writing and the comedy, and then. Uh, I'm starting over in everything. Wow. You know? yeah. Everything is new. Like what we're doing right now, if you asked me like two, three years ago, I would have said yes, but it would have never been like this. Crazy thing about the language, four years ago, five years ago, I thought I, uh, I was more confident. The more you learn the language and the more you know you don't know. Yeah. People who don't know, they're confident. I, I meet so many people that I got, you know, Spanish. Oh, yeah. They know five words and they yeah. just yeah. use those five words like so confident, you know. Right. And, and the less uh, inspired or really, really funny or really um, a, a, a good writer you are. Or, yeah. And sometimes I see people very confident and I'm like, I'd like to... <laughs> you know, can you we give this confidence to this guy? Not that I'm judging or something, but we have to stay like open to confidence is okay, but too confident. Eh. I was watching uh, soccer, and it's the same for every sport. The way athletes talk about their own uh, performance. I was really comparing to our, to us, and I said, if we do that, we people would think we're crazy. Like, oh my gosh! Uh, yeah. Like I did a great game, and I'm at the top of my game right now, and this yeah. season has been amazing for me. And yeah. I think <laughs> with this game tonight, I became one of the most. And it's normal. Yeah, it's yeah. Not, we're, not we're not shocked. Can you imagine, <laughs> like walking off stage? I think uh, that was one of my best shows. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. I, have a, I have another set tonight um, at the cellar, and I think um, it's going to be really great because yeah. I'm in a great shape this, yeah. sa this, really warmed this up. season. Yeah. This Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. You seem very organized. You seem like you take good care of yourself. Do you have stuff you have to do every morning? Do you have a routine? Yeah, I have. It's not a routine. For meditation, it's a routine, and mm -hmm. I... Uh, I owe that uh, really that gift to uh, Jerry Seinfeld. Mm. Really? He, yeah, really. That's a gift um, because um, 
you know, not only that he's been talking about that, he's he kind of him and George Shapiro, his uh, manager, has been his manager for more than I don't know, thirty, forty, thirty or forty Something years, like that. and yeah. he is a oh a great man, such a. Uh, a it's such um, interesting and and passionate to 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 talk with him. It's incredible. He's like the encyclopedia of of comedy. You know? <laughs> he knows every single story, yeah. and I love talking to 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 George. And they kind of they said we're gonna give you a scholarship uh, uh. as a joke, like I'm gonna send you there. And I was like, no, the meditation, and and then George sent me there and to learn with. Uh, at the David Lynch Foundation. Oh, wow. So you went to like a meditation class. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, for wow. Week, for one week with like the, the head of uh, David Lynch uh, Foundation uh, named Bob Roth. And he teaches to people. And there are many teachers there. But, you know, I had the master. I yeah. Had this, yeah. Uh, I was very wow. lucky. And so I took this um, uh, class, I would say, for five days. And then after five days, I was able to do it myself. And I really, really needed it, really yeah. needed it. Um, because, and I, I was so mad at me that I didn't do that before. Because mm. I'm 46, I've been touring my whole life. I have two kids, I've been, you know, the, how our lives are and, and traveling a lot all around the world. And, but it's it, it's something really important for me to do it twice a day. Mm. Wow! Um, for how long? Twenty minutes. Twenty minutes. Yeah, wow. Both twice a day. Wow. Twenty minutes. And wow. uh, is it like first when you wake up and before you go to sleep? Yeah. Okay. No, it's yeah. When first when I wake up and then I try to do in the afternoon and then there's no rules. Okay. Um, I did it right before coming here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I needed it. Maybe I'm gonna do it three times if I need. Maybe one mm. uh, because I don't have uh, time. But it's very it's it's a very interesting experience to to try to do something with no um, expectation. I would say mm. because if you think about it, for everything we have expectations, mm-hmm. and so people always tell, "Oh no, when you go to bed, you have an expectation: falling asleep, right. yeah. uh, resting. Yeah. I'm going to rest. This is an expectation. Right. I'm going to take a nap." I'm going to do this. I'm going to. And I don't have a very high level of meditation. You know, I've been. But I hope one day I will do it uh, uh, without thinking about it while I'm doing it. And it will be because it's the most simple thing to do in life. And it's the best thing you can give and offer to yourself. Hmm. Um, And there's I when I first started, I was like, really, there's nothing to do. Well, there, there's nothing to do, but I have so many thoughts. Yeah. And they, they were like, it's okay. It's okay. Hmm. But what do you mean it's okay? When you say it's okay, I think about your fact that you told me it's okay. And I think about <laughs> yeah. the fact that I told you that I had so many thoughts. And I say to myself, it's okay, but what should I do? <laughs> yeah. And then they, they, they teach you how to just, you know, see these thoughts go through your mind without catching them. And oh. I mean... I'm not a teacher. I'm just learning right now. And, and you know, I, I, if someone asked me, I would encourage everyone to do it because it's something you do for yourself. It's easy. It's simple. Uh, and only you can do a good thing for yourself. Mm, I believe right. in that. And the, the best relationship you can have is with, is with yourself. Yeah, totally. absolutely. Now I'm, uh, it's time now to, you know, 
you're you're a good man. That's come on. Yeah. <laughs> Forgive yourself. Be oh, be nice. I love it. Be yeah. nice to you. Stop that. Very too rude. Too too hard on yourself for yeah. years. Uh, Teach uh, me how yeah. to be too nice to myself. Too hard on yourself. Too hard. What's wrong with you? Stop it. Uh, yeah. No. It's changing my life. There's there's a book by Byron Katie called Loving What Is and. The gist of it is it's sort of cognitive therapy where you, when you have an extreme emotion, which I often do, anger, or frustration, or sadness, is, is, is uh, to ask yourself these questions, uh, uh, is what you're feeling true? Mm. And the second question is, is it definitely true? Which I think is a really oh. often a very, it's a very telling question. <laughs> that that's what yeah, usually that's what it gets you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's it stops. Me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, and then the, I think the third one is like, uh, uh, how would you feel if it weren't true? What would that make you mm. feel like if it weren't true? <gasps> and then I think the fourth one is, what if the opposite were true? Okay, can I'm hold on. Good. I'm literally gonna write that down. <laughs> Mike, when do you find that you ask yourself those questions? Is it when you're trying to like pull yourself out of making assumptions about things or when you're anxious or what? I don't think be? it's as rational as that, Delaney. Uh, it's more <laughs> like uh, when I'm when I'm just uh, mostly it's sad or angry. You know, it's just mm. like when I'm in that place where where I feel like uh, like a claustrophobia in my existence. Mm. And I'm, and I, a lot of times, and this is where like my last special, the new one came from was like hours and hours of free writing into a journal, like majority garbage, Mm -hmm. you know, like most of what I wrote is I hope no one ever reads it, Uh, (laughs) but, but then combing through it. And that's and then journaling is sort of a cognitive therapy in in a sense. Also, I always suggest journaling to people who aren't even writers. It's just like it's a healthy thing to to write out how you feel and what you're experiencing, and then read it like a week later, a month later, six months later. Like she has this thing about um, about basically like asking yourself tough questions as a memoirist, which is like what do people like about you and what do people not like about you? And, mm. and like sort of be honest mm. with yourself about that. And, mm. and she's like, because like she teaches at, I think, Syracuse. And she's like, more, more often than not, like my students will come in and the first thing they'll write is very self-aggrandizing. And she says that's what she encounters with her memoir students a lot. And then at a certain point, you have to get to a point of like, no, no, what's wrong with me? Because actually what's wrong with me is way more interesting than what's right with you. Right. Yeah. Which is of course yeah, fits yeah. into the podcast. Sleepwalk with me came out. Uh, I mean, it was, tw- we just talked about it, it was 2012. So I was like 19, yeah. I think. And wow. I started doing stand up when I was 16. So it was still pretty early for me. And yeah. like, you know, Kelsey was saying she saw it in theaters. So everyone. Yeah. Mike, oh, you're like one of my like longtime favorite comedians. Oh like I remember watching your sh- like 10 years. I've been doing stand up 11 years now, like early, early on starting and just being like, oh, my God, this dude is fucking amazing. So I've been a longtime fan. We're- I people- like you too, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Delaney. Can you talk more if you're OK with it about <clears throat> the sleepwalking incident and like how how you've been able to incorporate that into like your act and and taking care of yourself and all of that 
Well, it's funny. There's a, there's a, uh, this is sort of a, a self-help related observation about the sleepwalking show and also me jumping through the window. I started writing sleepwalk with me uh, before I jumped through the window. Because really? it was yeah, because it was a persistent problem for years. Like I had a lot of anxiety and I would sleepwalk and I just thought, yeah, people sleepwalk. You know what I mean? Like I just yeah. thought like and I but I, I did think it was odd and I, I I thought it was odd enough to write jokes and stories about. And then I started writing this show about sort of being in denial about, you know, the show is about being in denial about my career, being in denial about my relationship that I knew should end, but I couldn't say it. And I was in denial about the serious sleepwalking disorder that I should have been going to a doctor about. And I didn't do it. And then, and then in the, and then in the process of writing it, I'm, and I'm talking in the process, like three years into writing the show. I cool. jumped through the second story window sleepwalking. Wow. In in Walla Walla, Washington, after performing at Whitman College. This is a detail I never I, I it's in, never in the sh- it's never in the show because it's anticlimactic, but it's actually kind of a of weird detail. After I jumped through the window, they put 33 stitches in my legs. And I had glass in my legs and I was bleeding, all this stuff. I went back to the motel in Walla Walla, the La Quinta Inn. I I paid for the window. I swear to God, I paid for the window. Oh, it was like yeah. 300 bucks. Oh. <clears throat> I checked out and then I drove across the state to University of Oregon to perform at the final gig on that run of shows because I was so broke that I actually couldn't give up the gig and not do it because you just need that check. Yeah. Like you did that with 33 stitches, stitches in my legs and they had no idea. The audience is 500 people. I have photos. I used to take photos of my audience on stage back then in my 20s. And I, I have a photo of the audience from me on stage, like to this day. And they had no idea that the night before I had jumped through a window, which is, which is the ultimate case of like, you really don't know what people are dealing with. Oh my God. Oh my God. How does one manage uh, having a sleep disorder? I know nothing about this topic. What do you do? So, so I went to a, a neurologist who specializes in sleep disorders and uh, I went for a sleep study. So like they put all of these like electrodes all over your body to monitor what's going on in, uh, you know, inside of you as you're sleeping. And it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, mo- it's all over your face and it's monitoring your, like your brain activity and stuff like that. And then they diagnosed me with what's called REM sleep behavior disorder. Believe it or not, you know, the DSM, it's the book that they teach people about neurological disorders in med school. I'm in the DSM for REM sleep behavior disorder. Whoa. It you made, made it. I made it. Yeah, yeah. It's me. I did it. Yeah, it's me. I did it. I'm in the DSM. Uh, I just love a good compilation. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know I love to receive as many hot tips and takeaways as humanly possible when I personally tune into podcasts. And I always keep this in mind when I interview people for this podcast. I just, I just love it. It feels like a game of like how much wisdom can be packed into a 50, 60 minute episode. Um, you may even notice like when I interview people, I like to skip a lot of their 
you know, what's your background? How'd you get here? You know, that's just like a very small amount because um, I love getting to the deep shit, like the stuff that you cannot read on someone's website or in their bio. So I hope you got as much out of that episode as I did. And I'm going to wrap up with a quotable submitted by one of our patrons. I'm gifting you a little something and then uh, we'll end with an iTunes review of the episode. So this quotable was submitted by one of our lovely patrons over at Patreon. And the quote was submitted by Kelly. It says, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Oh, that was a, a John D. Rockefeller quote. Oh my gosh, let's read it again. Don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Ooh, I just feel like this is a real ass kicking quote, uh, which I always appreciate. I feel very called out by this. Um, I think, I don't know, speaking for myself, when I look back at the times when I made changes or I, you know, transitioned out of something, um, to me, it always felt, it always feels easier when you're making a change because something feels really shitty or just not working anymore or you've just kind of hit a wall where you know like I know this is not what I want to do or I know this is not the person I want to be with or I know that I want to move to this other location whatever it is but it is so hard when things are feeling good or fine they're they're going well they're they're going okay and um I I think let me think about where this comes from for me I think that when things are going well and you want you want more for yourself like you want even better i know that for me like guilt can come up from that um or feelings of like me not being grateful for what i have um and that i you know i should be i should be absolutely thrilled that things are just good or okay um and I think, yeah, I think you can do a, a great disservice to yourself from not going for, you know, the ideal situation and all of that. Um, I know also a big fear that I have had when things are going well, but, you know, kind of creeps in. Could it be even better? Um, could my life be even bigger than I imagined? Or, you know, should I stay in this right here? Um I think a big fear I have is going for the thing that I perceive as better or greater or whatever it is, and then getting there and realizing, oh shit, this was not as great as I thought it was going to be. What I actually had or left was was great, and now I can't get that back or something. So I know there's a lot of fear around going for, um, yeah, just, I guess, extraordinary versus, you know, pretty good. So anyway... Uh, that was just a live spiral uh, on on this recording. Such a good quote. Thank you so much, Kelly, for submitting that. If you want to leave a quote that gets read on the podcast, you can sign up for our Patreon community. That's patreon.com slash selfhelpless. You can also um, give shout outs to loved ones on there that get read on the podcast. You can submit um, topics and guests and vote on different topics. So there's a lot of interactive uh, rewards there. And then uh, for a little hot tip of the episode, um, a lot of you have asked about the resume template that I used to have available on my website for free. And we had shifted things a while back and kind of revamped the website a little bit. And so that had been taken down. But I've gotten so many emails from all of you that um, asking where it is or asking if you can still have it. So I have put that ba back up for all of you. And when you join my email list, the D list, um, this is now one of the gifts that you'll be you'll be receiving when you join. Um, it's all free. So yeah, the template, the resume template, it's gotten me uh, great like interviews. It's gotten me jobs. It's gotten my loved ones, jobs, clients, friends, all of that. 
It's uh, it's intentionally designed to um, basically help your resume stand out in a sea of black and white kind of standard resumes that definitely get buried. And it's just designed with um, an HR manager's needs in mind. So if you want to grab that, uh, you can do so at DelaneyFisher.com. You'll get access to um, private podcast episodes as well about unique career paths and different interviews I've had with people. I like to share different gig and like media opportunities on my list. It's just a place where you get a lot of stuff. Um, I know that email list these days, it's like people are always trying to sell you something. They're asking you for something. There's a lot of asks and uh, take, take, take. So I'm very mindful with my own list and my own space that you get a lot of value. Um, and I really enjoy doing that. So yeah, feel free to uh, grab that if you would like. And then to uh, leave you with an iTunes review of the episode, this is from Jaylee081. It says, love you guys. Just started listening. Have been going through a hard time. You guys motivated me to do better. You're also funny. Keep up the good work. Jaylee, thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. I'm sorry that you've been going through a tough time. I hope you are feeling, like you said, you know, uh, more motivated or stronger or excited for your future a little bit more every day or uh, every hour or however, you know, you're taking things right now. Really appreciate you so much. And I love being able to speak to you directly. And that's what I get to do when you leave a review. So if you would like to leave an iTunes review, it takes about a, I don't know, a minute. You go to your Apple podcast app, you press the stars, you leave a sentence. And I just really enjoy it so much. Um, a lot of you know that I, I deleted all my social media a couple years back. And so I don't get those kind of personal interactions as much anymore. And this is a way for me to be able to thank you personally and um, say hello. Um, all right, everybody. Thank you so much uh, for tuning in. I hope you have a great rest of your day and I'll talk to you next week. Maybe I'm Thank you for tuning in to the Self Helpless Podcast. You can find our Patreon community, merch, and our individual work at selfhelplesspodcast.com. We'd be thrilled if you shared this episode with a friend, left an iTunes review, or feel free to post it on your Instagram and tag at selfhelplesspodcast. Thanks, guys.